Well, today is the final part in our seven-month study of Jesus' famous teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, which I'd argue has got to be the single most profound set of teaching in the history of all civilization. Now, I should just interject and say, for the sake of clarity, of course, I'm not referring to our treatment of Jesus' teaching in this series. I'm speaking about Jesus' teaching itself. And as we've been seeing over these last few weeks, Jesus concludes this block of teaching with a series of warnings. And really, this final warning that we're going to be unpacking in our time today, I think is particularly relevant for us. Here's why. Here are three key pieces of thinking from three people significantly more cleverer than I am. First up is someone called Buckminster Fuller, who in his book Critical Theory came up with what he called the knowledge doubling curve. He estimated that from the year of Jesus' birth, it took 1,500 years for the cumulative knowledge in all of human civilization to double. But from there, it took 250 years to double again. From there, it doubled every 100 years up until the Second World War. After that, it doubled every 25 years until the 1990s, where it was every 12 to 13 months. And now, most estimates put the figure at around about 12 hours. So, thought number one is that we have more information at our disposal than ever before. Secondly, Thomas Friedman, in his best-selling book, Thank You for Being Late, wrote about what he called the age of acceleration. It's like everything has sped up to this breakneck speed, largely due to technology. This graph from his work shows that technology is increasing faster than the human capacity to adapt. We literally cannot evolve fast enough to keep up with the sheer pace of change. And I think this has created an age of anxiety where at least a low level of anxiety is pretty much the new normal. We all feel chronically behind the curve, don't we? Running to play catch-up, stressed out and overtired because of the pace of change. So that's thought number two. We feel overwhelmed by all this information. Finally, Neil Postman, in his book, Amazing Ourselves to Death, coined the phrase, information to action ratio. By that, he meant how much information we put into action. He writes, the tie between information and action has been severed. Information is now a commodity that can be bought and sold or used as a form of entertainment or worn like a garment to enhance one's status. It comes indiscriminately, directed at no one in particular. Disconnected from usefulness, we are glutted with information, drowning in information, have no control over it and don't know what to do with it. And he points not so much to the internet but to the invention of the telegraph 
as the turning point. Almost overnight, information and in particular news could travel across the world at lightning speed. And so suddenly news became disconnected from your time and place. Before that, pretty much the only news that you heard about was local, from your town or from your village and pretty much all the time it involved people you knew and you could do something about it. Now we hear all sorts of news. I mean, just think of the last month or so, there was that dreadful earthquake in Izmir, Turkey that killed 115 people. There was the brutal beheading of a teacher outside Paris. Then there's the ongoing fallout from the presidential elections in America. Let's be honest, most of us have zero ability to do anything about any of that. And I think what that tends to create is this state of being used to hearing vast amounts of information, and even being emotionally moved by a lot of that information, and then doing absolutely nothing about it which, in Neil Postman's words, leads to a low information-to-action ratio. So just to recap, three ideas. We have more information than ever before. We feel overwhelmed by all of this information. And we're programmed to hear information, even be moved by it, but end up doing absolutely nothing about it. But... According to Jesus, this state of affairs just will not do. If we want to experience the life of his kingdom, then we have got to find a way to act on what we hear. Let's work our way through his teaching here in Matthew 7, line by line. Verse 24, he starts by saying, Therefore, as a result of everything I've just said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. So just to be clear, it's not enough to simply hear all this great teaching. It's great to listen, wonderful to take notes, really helpful to chat about it afterwards, but ultimately that is not the point. The end goal isn't to fill our heads with more and more information. No, we need to go away and actually put it into practice. We need to act on what we hear. In other words, we need to do something about it. We need to not just agree with what Jesus says, but actually obey it. Now, to drive this point home, Jesus tells a parable or a story about life in the kingdom. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, doesn't act on what they hear, doesn't do anything about it, doesn't obey Jesus' teaching, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, 
and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Now look, if you grew up in or around the church, probably you will have heard this story as a child and probably you also know a song about it. And because you're so familiar with it, it's not so much that you view it with contempt, but perhaps just with apathy. So I want to appeal to you, before we go any further, to let this story hit you between the eyes. Do not allow familiarity to steal it of the shock it's intended to convey. Because this is not a cute Sunday school story. No, this is a dire, stark, sober, weighty and deeply profound warning. It's a parable, a story about two different home builders. One of them wise, the other one foolish. So Jesus isn't really talking about their morality here. He's not contrasting good and bad. No, he's talking about their mentality. He's speaking about their intelligence. And Jesus says the wise, the intelligent, the clever, the thoughtful person builds the house of their life on the foundation of practicing his teaching as laid out in the Sermon on the Mount. By contrast, the foolish person, who's really not all that sharp, who, who hasn't given much thought to life, who's not particularly clever, they hear all of this same teaching from Jesus, they may even like it and agree with it, but just don't really do anything about it. Jesus doesn't say why. Maybe they're just too busy. Maybe they're tired, worn out, exhausted. Maybe they're overwhelmed with other stuff and haven't got the time or the energy to think about it. Maybe they prefer another teacher, another way of life. But Jesus doesn't give a reason. He simply leaves it for you to find yourself in this story. Are you the wise person or the fool? Or perhaps, in all honesty, a little bit of both. Where are you in your life at in practicing the teaching of Jesus? It's like... Jesus lets you imagine yourself in this story and leaves you to fill in the blanks. Now, here's the terrifying thing about the parable. In the short run, you just can't tell the difference between those two houses, uh, between those who practice Jesus' teaching and those who don't, those who are building on rock and those who are building on sand. From a distance, they look exactly the same. So in other words, you might both work in the same place. You might live in the same street. You might share the same interests. Dare I say, you might even attend the same church. For all intents and purposes, you might look the same until the flood comes. And notice, it's not a case here of if the flood comes, but when it comes. It comes for the wise and the fool alike. And when it comes... Jesus says it exposes the security of what we are building our life on. Now, the flood can take many different forms. It could be the loss of a job, a diagnosis, a tragedy. 
could be the death of a dream, bad news, or a global pandemic. Jesus is acknowledging that life is hard. And whether you follow him or not, we all go through the same floods, the same storms of life. I think a lot of the time, the problem actually comes when we expect life to be easy and it's not. And at that point, we, we completely get thrown. We're confused, what perplexed, what, what's going on? But one of the things, one of the many things I appreciate about Jesus is his sheer honesty. He's not saying that if we follow him, he'll lead us out of a life of hardship. Now, quite the opposite. He promises us that life will be full of challenges. But here's the game changer. He promises to be with us in the midst of the flood. He, he promises to walk with us through the storm and to help us come through the other side. Because the flood will come. And whatever it is, major or minor, it will shake the house of your life to the core and it will reveal what your life is actually built on. And it'll either be one of the best or the worst moments of your life. If your life is mainly built on greed, on materialism, on competition, to, to win, to get ahead no matter the cost, if it's built around your sexual exploits or your appearance or popularity or what people think of you or how many people follow you, if it's built on travel and the freedom to go anywhere and do anything you want rather than built on Jesus and practicing his teaching and obeying what he says, then that flood, that storm, whatever it is, it will reveal the foundation that your life is built on. And if it's built on anything other than Jesus and his teaching, then it will end up falling with a great crash. And just to say, it's not always down to a massive crisis. Sometimes it is just this slow, steady unravelling, the cumulative effect of a life not built around obeying Jesus' teaching day in, day out, that finally starts to catch up with somebody. As Paul puts it in his letter to Timothy, the sins of some are obvious and go ahead of them, but the sins of others trail behind. That's how it is, isn't it? So some people, you don't see it for a while, but if the foundations are wrong, time will tell. Sadly, I guess probably all of us can think of people whose lives unraveled. For, for sure, the celebrities whose stories just fill the front pages of the tabloids, but also friends, family members. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? I tell you, if those stories don't scare you, then they should. Not talking about being anxious, not talking about being paranoid or having some kind of unhealthy fear, but there is a healthy kind of fear. The Bible speaks, doesn't it, about the fear of God. That This warning from Jesus should wake us up, should arrest our heart, should break us out of apathy, should get us asking hard probing questions of our own life and get us to take a long hard look at our obedience or lack of it to Jesus and his teaching. 
The challenge is, as we've seen, we live, don't we, in a day and age when we have more information than ever before. We already feel overwhelmed by all this information and we're programmed to hear information, even be moved by it, like hopefully you are now, but then end up doing absolutely nothing about it. Listen, information alone does not equal transformation because knowing something and even wanting to do something about it is not the same as doing it. And what Jesus is giving us here is not a mere ideology or simply a set of ideas to ascribe to or assent to in our head. No, it's a way of life that demands everything. It's a change of lifestyle, something you do with your whole body, your whole mind, your whole life. Look, at the end of the day, Jesus' end goal isn't to inform you. No, his goal is to transform you into someone like himself. And that's going to take more than mere information. You, you can't just think your way to transformation. You, you can't just hear Jesus' words like on anger or lust or forgiveness or worry and just think that from that point on you won't be angry anymore or you won't think lustful thoughts or you won't hold on to unforgiveness or be anxious. Boom, that's it. Wish it was that simple. But sadly, it isn't. But you know what? I think in our heart of hearts, a lot of us kind of assume it is. We perhaps hear a challenging sermon. We're inspired in the moment, resolved to be different, and just kind of imagine that this will lead to lasting life change. But actually, it requires way more than that. Willpower is great, but the reality is we cannot do it alone. You know... I think so many of our attempts to change are doomed to failure because we try and do it in our own strength. But humbling as it is to admit, we desperately need outside help. Now, this is kind of lost in translation, but pretty much all the references to you in the Sermon on the Mount and the rest of the New Testament, for that matter, are not addressing you as an individual, but you plural. For example, Jesus says you are the light of the world. Not you as an individual, but you as a community together, which means we cannot do this alone. We need one another. And we also desperately need the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus encourages us, doesn't he, to ask so that we receive, to seek so that we find, to knock so the door is open to us. Meaning, you need access to a person, to power, to a presence that is beyond you, to help you from the inside to live out this teaching of Jesus. But I might have got it wrong I don't think we're very good at asking for help. That's my hunch. So, can I plead with you? Won't you make it your practice to daily pray and invite the Holy Spirit to fill you, to give you the power you need to apply this teaching of Jesus, to equip you with the strength you need to live differently? I mean, wasn't that? One of the great secrets of Jesus' obedience to the Father. He was full of the Spirit. 
And if Jesus needed the help of the Holy Spirit, I reckon you and I probably do too. Now look, I think it's fair to say, one of the things we pride ourselves in here at Church Central is our Bible teaching. But here's the thing, if we don't do anything about the teaching we receive, then it's all worthless, it's a waste of time. At the end of the day, the question is not so much whether you are well taught, it's whether you're building your life on obedience to the will of the Father, to the teaching of Jesus, trusting his vision for humanity over your vision and acting on it, putting it into practice. And so, to try and make this a little more specific, is there anything that you know God has told you to do or not do? Some behaviour perhaps he's challenged you on and you are yet to act on it. You, you kind of wonder why perhaps you're stuck and maybe that's why. It could be today or last week or several years ago, but the Holy Spirit just nudged you to spend five minutes a day in prayer or to apologise to that person or to let go of that grudge towards that other person, to develop more of an attitude of gratitude, to be more generous with what you have, perhaps to stop looking at those images or to start living within your means, to share with a friend how you're struggling in a particular area and make yourself accountable to change. I don't know what it is, but is there something that God has spoken to you about and you haven't acted on it yet? This is a warning to wake up and put it into practice as a matter of urgency. So, all that being said, to end this series, your house is your life. Everybody builds a life. You can't not. The question isn't, are you building a life? It's, what are you building your life on? Underneath all of the distraction, all the day-to-day concerns of life, what is the bedrock of your life? Is it Jesus? Practicing his way to be human, in community with others, empowered by the Holy Spirit? Or is it something or somebody else that will not survive the flood as and when it comes? These are vital questions which we simply cannot afford to ignore because Jesus ends the greatest teaching in all of human history with this sober, weighty warning. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. The end.